All right, well, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Um, was going to preach from James tonight, and then I realized, and you've heard me tell this story lots of times, um, as you already know that tomorrow is my 66th birthday. Don't say that to talk about me, but it's a special day in the sense that um, one, a long, long time ago, before even Carrie was born, okay, Christmas fell on January the 6th, okay? The original Christmas Day was January the 6th, so I was born on Christmas. And somewhere along, some pope changed it. I'm not sure what his name was and why he did, but he did. He changed it. However, traditionally, traditionally, I just remember what you always write. I don't talk about, traditionally, that's special, man. You know, um, traditionally, it's Epiphany, and that is the day that the three kings arrived at the manger or at the, in the house, as we're going to hear tonight. So, so it's also another special way that, that the three kings, three kings traditionally arrived that day. So I just thought appropriate that we talk about um, the three kings tonight and kind of end up our Christmas season with that thought. Because keep in mind, and you're going to hear it tonight a little bit later on, but keep in mind there's definite evidence um, that the, the three guys, and first off, there weren't three of them, most likely, um, and then they didn't arrive at Christmas. They arrived probably a couple years later. Um, we're going to look at that tonight. It's just an interesting thought. Okay, you go ahead and keep your wise men in your manger. I've got, remember, I've got my three wise men in my manger, and I still got Scarlet O'Hare. Okay, <laughs> still got Scarlet every year in my manger. And uh, you remember that story? Yeah. Okay. Now I won't tell you. It's just one of the special things. It really is. It really is. But anyway, so so we're going to learn a little bit about the coming of the wise men. All right. So Matthew chapter two, verse number one and two. You know. You know, Matthew starts out, matter of fact, and says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea during the, the reign of King Herod. Now, now again, you've heard a lot about Herod. This is Herod the Great. He reigned from about 37 B.C. until 4 B.C., okay? That was during his reign. Of course, you got to understand that, that evidence points to the fact that Jesus was not born at 0 A.D., okay? He was born in about 3 or 4 um, B.C. But Herod was just an evil man. It, to, to be to be born in the time of Herod the king and proclaimed be, be advertised as the king of the Jews was just a real dangerous thing. Um, Herod was not a Jew; he was a half Jew, and he followed the the bloodline of Esau. And it's just kind of appropriate that's true because again, you see that battle between Esau and Jacob raging even around the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was very insecure. Um, he, he wanted to build a, a large kingdom for himself. He was rather popular with the Jews. And the reason why is he built a very beautiful temple and also built other public buildings. And so the Jewish people um, didn't mind him too much. They tried to overlook his, his weirdness, okay? But he was so strange um, that he had his wife murdered, okay? He had her two brothers murdered. And then, check this out, he was married nine times, Trying to find the right one, I guess. I don't know. So, so Herod was just a really, really strange guy. And to be born in him, born during that time, and then to be claimed the king of the Jews because he was so jealous, it was just a very dangerous time to be born. Well, during that time, about that time, Matthew says, continuing in verse number 1, um, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Again, we don't know how many there were. We always assign the number 3 because there were three gifts. But it's rather interesting, um, you'll notice a little bit later on down in verse number 3 through 6, that their arrival in Jerusalem stirred up the town. So three strangers showing up in a town the size of Jerusalem wouldn't have been too big of a deal. Okay, But what if it was a grand caravan 
all of a sudden, something else changes. So there's, there's real evidence toward the fact this is a grand arrival of a bunch of people into Jerusalem. So they show up, and they're asking this question. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? And we have seen his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, unfortunately, it's become a coin phrase, but if you don't mind, I'm going to use it anyway. Your wise men still seek Jesus. Amen? It's true. It's, it's, take, it's lost its luster because it's kind of like Jesus is the reason for the season. It's kind of lost its power, man. Okay? But the fact is, these men were so wise, okay, from, from foreseeing the newborn king. Now, of course, they weren't Jews. They were definitely Gentiles. In fact, they were pagans. Okay? But something caused them, and it was the star, caused them to seek this newborn king. And so you ask the question, you say, well, well what, why did they know the star? You know, what, what prompted them? And we really don't know. Um, but the commentary I was reading, the Bible knowledge commentary, pointed to three possible things. One is they actually could have been Jews that were left behind in, in, the, in the exile, okay? So they stayed in that area, made a living for themselves, and then they would have some knowledge of the prophecy about the, the king coming and all of that. So it's possible they're exiled Jews. I, I, don't, I don't think that's it, okay? Um, secondly, obviously there were astrologers. We know that. There were astrologers, and astrologers were scientists who often studied ancient manuscripts. So it's possible that they obtained a copy of the ancient Old Testament manuscripts and read that, and when they saw the star, put two and two together. I don't know about that. I personally think this. I think God gave them a special message. I think God, having God put eternity in the hearts of men, I think they saw that star and somehow realized um, that it was something very, very significant and represented something very, very significant. So for whatever the reason, they saw the star as it rose and they said, hey, we saw this star and we have come to worship him. We have come to worship the king. Wise men worship the king. Come on, don't lose it. Don't lose it. Wise men worship the king. One of the wisest things you can do is worship Jesus. And I'm not just talking about here and, and the wonderful worship we have at Doorsville and, and the, this building and the other building. I'm talking about what we do outside the doors. Because, again, keep in mind that there are not two worlds. There is not a spiritual world and a secular world. There is one world for the believer in Jesus Christ. Everything we do is spiritual. You know, if you're a school teacher, what you do is spiritual. If you're a minor, what you do is spiritual, okay? So whatever you do in this world, everything, you know, God, everything points, should point to God, and God should re receive glory for everything we do, okay? Are you following that? Are you tracking with that? Okay? So they come, okay, they see this thing, and they want to worship this newborn king. Well, this is interesting. Word gets back to Herod. So the wise men were seeking the king. Herod was opposing the king. The wise men were seeking the king. Herod was opposing the king, all right? And the reason why, he was so intensely jealous. He was so insecure. Let's look at verse number three. King Herod, okay, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So again, three strangers showing up in town probably wouldn't stir Jerusalem like this event did. So chances are it was a rather large caravan that carries these kings into the town. So the whole town is wondering. Now, now let me say this. So why were they so, what was the word that this translation used? Um, you know, deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Okay, here's the deal. Peace at any price. Peace at any price. Why was, why was the, the uh, 
Jewish leaders so upset with Jesus when he was doing his ministry? Because they were so afraid that he was going to disturb the peace. And the last thing they wanted was more Roman rule in their land. So anything that would, would rock the boat, they were against. Okay, So the, the, the people saw this and they don't want anything to rock Rome's boat. Okay, So that's why they're so deeply, deeply disturbed. So he calls for a meeting in verse number 4 of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and says, so, you know, he turns to his experts. Now keep in mind, yeah, I used to be kind of critical of him. I even remember preaching this going, if anyone should have known who the king or where the king of the Jews was going to be born, it should be the Jewish king. But keep in mind, he wasn't Jewish. He was half Jew. Okay? And I promise you, the word of God was probably known on his brain a whole lot. Okay, so he goes to the experts. He goes to the leading priests and teachers of religious law and he asks this question. Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? So we had we had the the wise men seeking the king. We have King Herod opposing the king and we had the teachers and the priests ignoring the king. Okay, now here's what's crazy. Um, Brett Bethlehem, been there. Anybody been there? Yep. About five miles from Jerusalem, isn't it? About, about five miles from Jerusalem. It's right there. So, so imagine this. Now keep in mind, keep in mind, again, this is not something, this has probably spread over two years. The rumor mill has got to be going. I mean, the rumor mill, surely somebody has said something to these guys going, hey, have you heard rumor that they're saying some dude you know, some little baby named Jesus was over there in Bethlehem, was born, and, and they're saying he's the, you know, he's the king? Have you heard that? So, so all that is going on, and yet these priests did not care enough to check it out. It's a picture of our culture. It's a picture of our culture. You know, we have gone, we, we reject Jesus, we oppose Jesus, and often we ignore Jesus. Okay? So here's these priests, okay, that should know what's going on, and they're ignoring the king in verse 5. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, Bethlehem, and Bethlehem was a special town. Bethlehem was a special town. And again, you probably saw it, okay? So, so Jacob buried Rachel in Bethlehem, actually right outside of Bethlehem. Did you get to see that? Okay. It's on the main road between Jerusalem and, and Bethlehem is Rachel's tomb, okay? Which, by the way, is interesting in Palestinian house Palestinian hands, okay? So it's that. Um, this is where Ruth met Boaz, was in Bethlehem. This is where Jesus, or excuse me, David, King David, was grew up and was raised, okay? But most important for Bethlehem is what the Bible says in Micah about Bethlehem. And here's the quote. O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, were you not least among the ruling cities of Judah? For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And I just, did you read that word shepherd? Now, the shepherd was such an important role for the flock, protector and provider, and so many different things. And Micah says, out of Bethlehem, out of little Bethlehem, there will rise this ruler who will be the new shepherd of the nation of Israel. Well, in verse number 7, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Now, why is that significant? Why is that significant? You know, you do math, right? Because, you know, well, now listen, you know A plus B equals C, right? A plus B always equals C. At least they say that in algebra. But anyway, you know, one plus one always equals two. Okay, so from the prophets, um, yeah, from the prophets, what information did he get? Aware. He got aware. 
Okay? What did he get from the wise man? A time. A time. So, so he now has a where and a time, and that equals a bad plan. This is where the plan, and we're not going to cover it tonight, this is where the plan to kill the innocents comes from. He knows, he knows that it was Bethlehem, okay? And he knows that the star, they, you know, the wise men apparently said something like this, well, you know, we saw the star about two years ago, and we started following it, and we've been on the road ever since, okay? So that gives him, that bursts this evil plan to kill all the baby boys two years and under in Bethlehem. And I read it again today. It eases your conscience any. You know, one's too many. But probably, this was only about 10 or 12 kids. You know, Bethlehem at that time was about 100 people. It was not the town that it is now. Now it's several, several thousand. But right, but then it was probably like 100 people. But one's too many. One's too many. But when he put the time and the where together, it gave him the ability to hatch the evil plan to kill the innocents. So he told them, uh, we'll go to Bethlehem and carefully search for, now here's a key word. The child. We're going to see this several times. Now, again, not being the Greek expert I am, I didn't have time to learn how to pronounce it, so I didn't want to slaughter it. But trust me that the word for infant and the word for child are totally different. Totally different. This word child may actually can mean anyone puberty down. Puberty down. And the word for infant, of course, means baby. So Matthew makes a total, a, a big point to say that this was not an infant. This was a young child. And how old? Two years and down. Two years and down. Could be a year old, could be two years old. Okay? So when you find a child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. Of course, which was a, a total lie. Now, now really, I really like what Levi Lesko said. He preached a series, of, a Christmas message on this, and it's really good. You know, way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you know, after the, after the fall and God's pronouncing judgment, he speaks to the serpent and he says, you know, you will come along and bruise his heel. And the IV says, he's going to crush your head. Crush your head. Now, Satan has been trying to do two things ever since then. He's trying to stop Jesus and in the process, trying to keep his head from being crushed. Ever thought about that? He's trying to stop Jesus, and in the process, he's trying to keep his head from being crushed. And on through the Old Testament and forward, you see all the times when, when Satan intervened. And, you, know, think, you know, think about you know, when, they, uh, when, when Haman tried to kill all the Jews. Okay? You know, for all this time, you know, time and time and time again, you know, Satan was trying to keep his head from being crushed, and in the process, trying to stop Jesus. Okay? So this is kind of what's going on. You know... Levi Lesko said that day, I remember, he said, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and murder him. Oh, I mean, worship him. Oh, slip of the tongue, okay? So, so Herod's point was to murder, but keep in mind, it's bigger than that. Uh, the whole point is to try to stop Jesus from being the king of the Jews. Verse number nine. So after this interview, the wise men went their way, um, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them. And apparently the star would come and go. You say, well, how can a star come and go? I remind you, the person who hung the stars can move the stars. See, why, why do we want to limit God? Man, why do we want to limit God so much? Well, that's just not possible. I, excuse me? He got a 14, 15, 16-year-old girl to conceive without a man. Nothing is impossible. What is, is that what the angel said to Mary? Nothing is impossible to God. And you know what? That was true 2,000 years ago. But what we forget, it's true today. 
Nothing is impossible. God, God has not got a clock where he's getting to be an old man. God is timeless, both in eternity past and eternity future. He's timeless. Nothing is impossible. So apparently the star would come and it would go. And went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with great joy. So when the star appeared, now keep in mind, now we're talking the star is close. Okay? We're five, they're in Jerusalem, baby's in Bethlehem, the child is in Bethlehem, and so they're five miles away. The star is so close and so bright, and they are filled with joy. Keep in mind that most theologians believe, one, the journey has been about two years. And are you ready for this? Probably thousands of miles. Two to three thousand miles, Tyler. They traveled. Way. Now, you know, we, we can't sometimes get out of bed and go to church. And these buildings, these pagans, these pagans devote two years of their life and two years back to find the newborn king. And they travel thousands of miles to look for him. Quite amazing. Quite amazing. Verse number 11. So they entered. Aha. Here's the cue. Here's the clue. They entered what? The house. The house. Now, again, why, why would Mary and Joseph um, stay in Bethlehem? Well, apparently they did. Apparently they did, okay? And I liked what I read today, which, you know, so much of this is speculation. And we, we don't know. We don't. We really don't know, okay? But, but they said, you know, we think of Joseph as a carpenter, and it might be better to think of him as a contractor. And because of that, he would be used to traveling. So it was not unusual for a, a man of his his means and his occupation to move from one town to another. So he, he got to Bethlehem, maybe, and just set up shop. Set up shop. And ended up staying there in Bethlehem. Perhaps business was good, okay? So he ended up staying in Bethlehem. So, so they find the child, again, the word meaning puberty down. So probably, most theologians will tell you, probably one to two years old. Probably one, two years old. And they found the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and did what? They worshipped him. You know, we have... I like this. We have come to worship him, and when they found him, they did exactly that. They worshiped him. How amazing is that? And I like this. This is the, the uh, CSB, uh, Christian Standard Bible. And they opened their treasure chest. You know, it's a beautiful picture of their generosity. Again, let me know. You guys are so incredibly generous. You've got to know that. This, what you do at Dorsville is not normal. Y'all are weird. Okay? Y'all are weird. Pull out, pull out that section of IBSA, you know, when they list all the giving of the churches. And you're going to see a lot of churches, you know, a lot larger than us, way down the list. Now, don't get puffy. I'm not trying to be puffy. I just want you to understand what God does through you. What God does through you. And say, thank you for being a generous church. Being a church. So, thank you for opening your treasure chest. And these guys... Open their treasure chest. And, and you've heard so much. You've probably heard a thousand things about the three gifts and what they mean. But I'll give you just a little bit tonight because it's very significant. They gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, those are significant. Okay, gift, almost in any society we know, any culture we know, represents royalty and authority. Okay, gold represents that. Uh, uh, a lot of kings have their treasure in gold. Okay, so so it's most likely it's possible that the goal was significant in the sense that they're looking to the child to be the king. We are looking for who? The king of the Jews. Okay. Now, interestingly enough, 
these are, are valuable gifts. And that's one reason they got them, valuable gifts. But frankincense were used as incense in temple worship that the high priest would do. And they could be looking forward to Jesus as the high priest that they gave him frankincense. And, of course, myrrh was used in burial. And perhaps they were looking forward to, you know, prophetically as the sacrificial lamb of God. So these gifts were so, so significant. And the Bible says after they had worshipped, after they had given their gifts, the Bible says it was time to leave. They had a purpose, and they fulfilled that purpose, and they left, okay? And they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And, and again, wise men listen to God. Wise men listen to God. They could have listened to the king and went back and spilled their guts and said, well, this is what's going on. But they listened to God instead, and, and listening to God, they protected the newborn king. Wise men listen to God. Do you listen to God? Be wise. Listen to God. The gain of wisdom is the fear of God. The fear of God. All right? So they do that. They leave and go a different route. Now, well, here's, here's the reason. Probably the reason why I chose this scripture tonight is this. Because I am learning to deeply appreciate the sovereignty of God. You know, the sovereignty of God is like a, uh, it's like a life rope sometimes. You know, um, Connor O'Donnell has been, and Connor's a special needs child. And he's been in the hospital three weeks. I mean, he's real special needs. And he had pneumonia, and, and that was bad. And then something else went on, and the pneumonia came back. He's been on a respirator. Um, and then they told me this morning that his mother, Jill, who then come to church real faithfully here, um, had a massive stroke. Oh, yeah, a massive stroke. Uh, unconscious. Massive stroke. And so I was sharing with somebody this morning. I said, you know, this is one of those times you kind of say, God, hey, what were you thinking there? You know? But you know, I said to myself instantly, I said to them, I said, you know what? God's sovereign. God doesn't, God doesn't cause everything, but he allows. He allows. And for some reason that I don't understand, God allowed this in, to come in these two people's lives. And I'm learning to appreciate the sovereignty of God. I'm glad I've got a God that doesn't allow Satan to take pot shots at me and he can't control it. I'm glad my God is bigger than Satan, circumstances, whatever else you want to throw out. That's how big our God is. And, you know, faith does not demand that we know everything and understand everything. It just asks us to believe. Amen? Does this make sense? And that's why I'm learning to appreciate the sovereignty of God. Well, look at, look at verse number 13. This is very significant to me. I hope it will be to you too. So, after the wise men were gone. So, so remember now, these guys have been traveling for... The star comes up. They've been traveling probably for two years, thousands of miles. They've carried this chest, and in the chest are these very um, liquid data. Li they can be liquefied. No, they can be liquefied. There you go. I'll get it out. Okay? In other words, you know, if, you, know you buy land, it's not easy to liquidate. Hey, I'll give you a 1,000 acres. Maybe great, but you can't liquidate. Okay? But gold, silver, gold, frankincense, and myrrh were very liquidatable. Is that work? What do you think, bud? Easy to sell on the market, okay? So, they bring these gifts. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up! Flee to Egypt with the child, same word again, and his mother. Stay there until I tell you to return. Because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, 
Mary and Joseph were poor people. Um, it was a stretch for them to make it to Bethlehem, and a trip to Egypt would have been almost impossible. Now, Egypt wasn't far, and there was a Jewish population there, but the bottom line is, for this poor couple to travel would have been a really big deal. So what does God do? He has some guys show up from the far east and bring them gifts that they can liquidate, that they can sell, and pay for their travel expenses. And, and whatever they need to live on when they got there. Now, how credible is that? What do you think about that? Yeah, you know what? And by the way, if God did that for them, in case you don't know it yet, I'm not going to say God's going to do it for you. God's already done it for you. If you'll take the time and look, you will see times when God did miracles in your life. He met needs that you never dreamed he could meet. And that's just the kind of God that is. And I just love, I can just see these guys showing up with these funds for this poor couple. This poor couple. And they turn right around and they're able to leave. As soon as they're gone, you know, yeah, excuse me, hold that. And the, and the angel comes and says, you've got to get out of here. And they could leave and travel and establish a new home in a different country because God had met their need. We have a God meet, a God meeting, a, meeting, a God who meets needs. Amen. Amen? Come on, do you believe that? Amen. I need to hear from you. I want you to know that. I want you to know that. That doesn't mean we always get away. It doesn't mean forever dream or wish we, we want, we get. It just means that he meets our needs. And here he is. Right here meeting the need of the young king of Israel. You know, he's going to search for him, he's going to die. So, so that night, without delay, in the, in the darkness of night, okay, in the immediate need, that night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. And again, they could establish a home there because God met their need, Okay. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. So it's an incredible, isn't it an incredible story? It's so much, it's so much bigger than three guys standing in your manger scene. And this whole God story is huge. This whole God story is huge. Um, one of the benefits of going to heaven, Marsha, is going to be when we get there and we see it all. And we understand it all. Like I told you, I think probably the first zillion years we're walking on going, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, how about that? You know, that's what, that's what he was doing. That's what he was doing. And that's just the kind of God that he is. Why don't we bow our heads and pray? We're going to close with a worship song. And, um, Dave, what you got picked out? I'm sorry? Great. Would you sing that for us? I want you to stay seated tonight. That's a really good song for this. Um, I want you to stay seated and have your head bowed and your eyes closed. Now, these three pagans, I keep saying three, see, it's in my culture too. These men who traveled all those thousands of miles, somehow in their ignorance, or maybe by the drawing of God, you know, said, Lord, I'll do, I'll go if, if that's what you want. You know, and as we face 2020, you know, Let's do whatever God calls us to do. And then let's believe that he'll make it possible. Nothing is impossible. How can these things be, Mary said? With God, nothing is impossible. Our part of this is to simply say, have thine own way. Do 
what you want to do with me.